Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. So last week, uh, we had a wonderful message on humility versus pride. And this week, we're, con- uh, we're continuing this series, and Pastor RJ is bringing us the message about anointing and charisma. So let's welcome up Pastor RJ. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? So f- trying out this new iPad in first service, I turned it off three times in the middle of my reading because I hit the wrong button. I will try to do better this time. So listen, um, I know that they've ordered some Yetis for our uh, bookstore, for the Bow Cafe. And um, so they're, they're working on getting some of these that you can pick up. And actually, I think there's a way that you can get your name on it um, as well with our logo. Anyway, so if you want to be cool like me, shave your head and buy a Yeti. <laughs> they may not have them there yet. You don't have to shave your head. Anyway, we've been uh, contrasting the character of Christ uh, with the humanistic outcomes of this world in this series on contrast. And today we're going to be contrasting, uh, I called it anointing and charisma. Uh, Let me define the terms of that for you today as we start going through the charisma. Uh, Merriam-Webster, the Greek word charisma means favor or gift. It comes from the verb charisithiae. No, charisithe, to favor, which in turn comes from the noun charis, meaning grace. In English, and this is what I want you to catch, charisma was originally used in the Christian context to refer to a gift of, or power bestowed upon an individual by the Holy Spirit for the good of the church, originally. A sense, or we don't use that term that way anymore, it's very rare, These days, we refer to the word charisma as a social rather than a divine grace, okay? So for the context of today's conversation, I'm not going to the historical use of the word. I'm going to the current use of the word charisma. Another way that we can explain this in the context of today's conversation is gifting. Now, how many know in Romans 11, 29, for for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn, Now, there's a couple things here. The first part of this is God has um, entered into a covenant with us as people. In the old covenant, he entered into a covenant with the Jewish people, the Jewish nation of Israel. And even though they departed from following him, he was still in covenant with them. And in that divine calling that he had placed upon the nation, uh, he, he didn't withdraw that from them. He didn't take it away from them. And one of the things that he does is each individual human, he puts gifts inside of you. So when he breathed you into existence, he gave you some gifts. Every one of you has gifts. And you will have those gifts whether you use them for the glory of God or whether you use them for yourself or some combination of that. He doesn't take them away. Now, when we're talking about God gives gifts to humans, It's a grace and favor from God thing. It's not something you earn. 
So if you're really holy and you pray lots and you go to church all the time um, and you pay your alms to the poor and you take care, it doesn't mean you get more gifts. And when we look at calling, how many know that God made salvation available to all humans? Okay. It's by faith through grace that you're saved and you can gain um, deliverance from the eternal penalty and consequence of sin. You can gain eternal life. You can gain salvation. As long as humans are alive, God will never withdraw that opportunity for people to come to Christ and have salvation. So as long as you're breathing, you have an opportunity to become a Christ follower. You have an opportunity to accept the salvation that God has made available to us. So that's a calling. God has called all men and women to repent of their sin and follow him. How many know this? Some of you don't know this. It's a calling that he's placed out there. He's not gonna revoke that calling. That's what I'm trying to communicate. It says it's, it's never gonna be withdrawn. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, now it's God who establishes and confirms us in joint fellowship with you in Christ and who has anointed us, empowering us with the gifts of the Spirit. Now, when I look at Smith's Bible Dictionary, and I, and I understand this, there's multiple definitions. One, two, three, four, five is the one I'm actually gonna talk about. How many know that when you look at a dictionary, there can often be multiple definitions? So you have to kind of define which one you're talking about. Some of you have never read dictionary. Okay. I, I tell you all the time, I'm a little bit of a nerd. I used to read the dictionary every day. I'd read a page. And then I realized that most people don't. And when you talk with all the words in it, they don't understand. When I go on the street, there's people that have reduced the English language to eight words and seven of them I can't say. <laughs> Anointing from Smith's Bible Dictionary, definition five. Spiritual anointing with the Holy Ghost is conferred up also upon Christians by God. Anointing expresses the sanctifying influences of the Holy Spirit upon Christians who are priests and kings unto God. That's what I want to get to for today's conversation. I understand the, the concept of the anointing, the oil being poured out. I understand that it activates. It's an empowerment by God. It gives you the ability. There's an anointing present when the singers sing, when the musicians play. It creates and it leads to worship, right? I understand that. I'm talking about this particular portion of the anointing has to do with the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit on your life that's going to produce moral and upright character. So in the new covenant where we live today, the Holy Spirit is present in your life so that you can live right or righteous, if you want to term it as such. And... We don't have to pour oil over our heads any longer. See, that's how they used to anoint people. They would take the oil and they would dump it over their head. Kings, and then they would be kings. Priests, okay? Even Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, right? That's, that's what the, Jesus, the Messiah, had to do with. And, and the anointing had to do with the oil coming down over, but within that, there's an empowerment to accomplish the assignment that God has put upon our lives. And for you and I today, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and when his presence is there, he gives us the ability to overcome sin so we can sin less. We don't have to sin 
And what we can do is accomplish those things that he's told us that we should do. And I'll get to those in a few minutes. Hopefully, if all goes well, as I correct my typo. Okay, so today's conversation, we're going to focus on character and, and how God's spirit and present activated in your life and ministry produces godly character. And then we're going to contrast that with what happens when you have just the charisma or the natural gifting alone without that empowerment by God to live a holy life that, that God places within people. Okay, let's look at art. Anyone like to paint? Artist. I see a couple artists in the room. None of you like to paint? Okay, bad, bad illustration. Illustrations gone bad 101. Does anyone like to do music? Any music? Oh, we have some musicians. Okay. How many know that music is a form of art? Okay. And when you study the art and it becomes a part of you, you start creating and you start seeing and you start seeing the notes and they start coming out of your spirit and you start flowing in music. You know what I'm talking about? Has any musician just played their musical instrument and it just starts flowing out of you? It just starts coming out of you. What happens is that ability to create music, that ability, it it really is linked to worship. And you have to choose if you're going to worship the creator or if you're going to worship self. And by worshiping self, you ultimately worship Satan. And, and see, it's just like when you paint on a canvas, they capture a moment and they create. But what happens is you can use your art to glorify God or you can use your art to glorify something else. I talk about, I knew a photographer who was really good at capturing the moment. But then I went down to his studio and I realized he captured a lot of moments I didn't need to see captured because they were not moments I wanted to see. In other words, he took pictures of people in states of undress that was not acceptable to my standard of holiness and the covenant that I have with my eyes. So while he was good at creating art, he used it not to glorify God, but he glorified the human body and that created problems. Do you you see where this is? Do Do you understand what I'm trying to say? God gives us the gift. He doesn't repent of the gift he gives us. How we use that gift is gonna determine the outcome. His glory, our glory. How about maybe easier motivational speaking versus preaching the word of God? Do you know that someone can deliver an uplifting message to you without including the gospel? They can talk to you and your emotions get elevated and your self-esteem gets raised and you feel better. And when they're done talking, you're like, ooh, that was good. But I would posture that we should always include repentance from sin, the gospel message of hope, encouragement to surrender fully to God, the concepts that the Bible talks about. We should communicate that when we're communicating any message that we deliver because hope outside of Christ is futile. What do you mean? There are many charismatic speakers in pulpits. There's many communicators in pulpits all over the world. The lasting legacy and the fruit of their life's work is going to be the character by which they lived each day. 
how they lived when the lights weren't on them is infinitely more important than they do when they're communicating. How many know this to be true? I can communicate any image I want when I'm up here. My hope is that the image that I communicate from the stage is the same image that you meet from me when I'm on the street. That's my hope. I shoot for that. I try for that. That's the goal. And, and what happens is, over the years, we've seen church leader after church leader fall in a scandal. There are many reasons that this happens, from lack of accountability to pride and everything in between. But a sure recipe for disaster in your life as a Christ follower is when you think you can do it in your own power and strength and you stop seeking the wisdom and the guidance of the creator. That is a recipe for disaster. The source of wisdom for us as humans is God's spirit or God's Holy Spirit. Let me, let me read 1 John 2.20 to you. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. You've been set apart, specially gifted and prepared by the Holy Spirit. And all of you know the truth because he teaches us, illuminates our minds and guards us from error. Do you realize as a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit within you and he gives you the ability to discern truth from lie. As a Christ follower, you should know by your new nature, the difference between right and wrong. I shouldn't have to stand up here and tell you that gossip is sin. That fornication, you should already know that by the spirit of God within you because when you're reading the word of God, it spells it out pretty clear that this is against God's wishes for your life. And because the Holy Spirit's in you, you should have the ability to discern that. You should have the ability to know this is truth, this is lie, this is right, this is wrong. So when I'm going through some of these things and I'm contrasting the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world, you should be going, yep, that just confirms what I already knew to be true. If it's new information to you, <laughs> that creates a little bit of a problem, right? Your inner witness will tell you that your character is more important than your gifting. And too many people elevate their gifting. You know, I have conversations like this with people from time to time. Well, I want to do this in the church, Pastor. And I said, that's nice, but no, I don't, I don't want you to do that. Well, you know what kind of value I can add and you know what I can offer if you just let me do this. And I look at them and go, I, I understand that you're gifted, but I'd like to see your life lived in a way that tells me that you value your relationship with Christ first and foremost, so that when you're operating in your gifting, you're not gonna bring shame to the name of Christ. People don't like those conversations. Well, I'll rephrase that. People who put gifting above character don't like those conversations. People who value character above gifting say, oh, thank you, I will work on that, and they will develop in that area of character inside of their life. In verse 27, this is 1 John 2, I'll jump down. As for you, the anointing, the special gift, the preparation which you received from him remains permanently in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but just as his anointing teaches you, giving you insight through the presence of the Holy Spirit about all things and is true and is not a lie and just as he anoints, his anointing has taught you, you must remain in him, being rooted in him, knit to him. See, at salvation, you get a new nature, God comes in, he changes your heart. You become a new creation. You become new. And the new man inside of you, that changes everything because now you have the ability to discern right and wrong. You have the ability to discern truth from lie. 
And if you're spending time connected to the creator in prayer, if you're spending time reading your Bible, you're gonna understand what the word of God says to you and it becomes alive and it illuminates to you. And then when you're walking through the world and you see something that's false, your spirit says, don't do it. Your spirit says, it's false, that's a lie, don't believe it. Where we run into a problem today is people tell lies that are so clever, it's hard to distinguish the truth from the lie. Isn't that how they do it? All right, let's go into some more data. Cognate, anointing, referring to the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, guiding the receptive believer into the fullness of God's preferred will. And I think you have to understand the, the Bible talks about God has a, a good will, an acceptable will, and a perfect will. The preferred will is ultimately where God wants you to land. And the Holy Spirit wants to guide you to his preferred. He wants to guide you to the best possible place, the best possible decision. And, and you know, people will ask questions sometimes, and I'm like, yeah, just pick one, do it. And they're like, yeah, but wait, wait, just pick one. <laughs> I don't have a preference. Okay. Paul in the front row here. He needs more airtime because at first service he got a little bit for vacuuming. Maybe we'll come back to that. This service he's going to get some airtime as a hockey coach. The truth is at the end of the day, he wants the little black puck to go into the opposite team's net more than the little black puck goes into his team's net. Did I get that right? Isn't that the goal? It's a goal of hockey. You, you score more goals than the other team does. Maybe. That's the object? So at the end of the day, when his center comes, should I shoot it in the net like this or should I shoot it in the net? Paul's like, just shoot it in the net. I don't care if you shoot it there or there or here or there or through the mitt, whatever, just put it in the net. There's other times though, when it's a technique issue. And Paul's gonna go to his center and say, I want you to do this specifically, why? Because it's very important that you learn the proper technique or else he's gonna get his pocket picked and the other team's gonna put the glove. <laughs> Isn't that what happens? No? So sometimes when it's important to him, he's gonna say, this is what I want. And other times he's gonna say, just pick one, just score, I don't care. God has a preferred will for your life. And there's times when he says, just pick one, do it. And there's other times when God says, no, specifically, I want you to do this. But 100% of the time, he's gonna tell you to be truthful. 100% of the time, he's gonna tell you to obey his commands. 100% of the time, he's gonna tell you to be spirit-led. 100% of the time, he's gonna tell you not to sin. God doesn't make exceptions to his will and allow you, well, you can sin today, but not tomorrow. You can sin a little bit, but not a lot. Thayer, he's a, he's a lexicon guy, Thayer's lexicon. The gift of the Holy Spirit is efficient aid in getting to know, getting a knowledge of the truth. So the Holy Spirit helps us to discern what is truth. Now, how many of you have heard of Billy Graham? Has anyone heard of Billy Graham? Okay. Right from the Billy Graham Association website, when you're looking up, this on Christian character. I'm gonna read right from their, I just copied from their website, okay? Not my material, but it's effective. 
The thing that makes the difference in Christian character is that we're answering to God foremost. Christian character is character lived out in the reverence for and respect for God. As opposing to simply honoring man, the fear of God is the biblical terminology for it. The fear of God is the starting place, but what it boils down to is the willingness to die to our own agendas, to die to our own conveniences. Character means death. You want to have good character, you have to die to what you want. How many of your flesh desires things that you know are not good for you? Oh, come on. The rest of you? You have your flesh crucified every day and you never sin because you always obey the Spirit? (laughs) Yeah, that's more like I thought. (laughs) And see, then it goes on and says, genuine Christian character involves sacrifice. Ouch. And that's something the culture will not require of us. See, we're contrasting culture with kingdom. In the kingdom, it requires sacrifice. In the culture, you can have your cake and eat it too. That is something that only faith will bring to us. We're called to be servants, not just honest people, but servants. Jesus put it in more severe terms. And I'm gonna quote from John 17. I'll read it out amplified. He says, so you too, when you've done everything that was assigned and commanded, you say, we're unworthy servants, undeserving of praise or reward. For we have not gone beyond our obligation. We've merely done what we ought to do. See, so many times in our world today, we don't, have our identity thing with Christ settled. We don't know who we are. We don't know that we're God's kids and we don't feel confident in our ability as sons and daughters. Or is our, our, our place, maybe more it's our place, our position, not our ability. But what happens is this. When, I'll pick on the husbands. I'll even use the same illustration I did first service. When the husband vacuums the floor at the house and then looks for an accolade, well done, good job, right? If that's what's expected by their arrangement within the marriage covenant that the husband vacuums and the wife does this and the husband does this, right? Why are you looking for an accolade to do the thing that's expected of you? How many of you work and get a paycheck? A few of you? Okay. When your boss says, I'd like you to do A, B, and C, and you do A, B, and C, and then you go to your boss and go, where's my pat on the back? Your pat on the back is the paycheck you get for doing what he told you to do, A, B, and C. That's your obligation. It was an arrangement. If you do this, I will give you this money. You don't get a reward for doing what's required of you. Some of you are not connecting the dots on this yet, so I'm going to have to explain it more. And some of you are going, okay, please leave this concept. I get it. (laughs) In Christianity, as a Christ follower, he tells us to be servants. We're supposed to serve humanity. When we do the minimum, when we do what God has asked us to do, it's not like there's a special reward for being obedient and meeting the obligation that he's asked you to do. Oh, come on. But I feed myself on the affirmation from other people when they tell me, well done, good job. Come on. (laughs) You have to understand 
People respond to charisma because a person with charisma is able to communicate to people the fact that they're worth something. They speak to their worth. People with charisma nourish hope, but character has to accompany charisma. A person needs only, not only affirmation, but discipline of mind and spirit. And that's where we go wrong in the culture. Little Johnny in school or little Susie in school, and forgive me if your name is Johnny or Susie, but that's just the names that came out. You know, they went to school and they did their math homework and oh, good job, yay, you did so good. But the truth is we start creating a little bit of a monster there when we do that, don't we? Because it's the very thing that they're supposed to do and we celebrate it like they went over and above and beyond. Oh, come on. But see, the same is true with this character's charisma can't satisfy people's desire for affirmation. Character, according to Romans 5, produces hope. But character seeks to cultivate a disciplined life that produces the fruit of the Spirit. You have to have character together, right? With the discipline. Watch. Romans 5, I'll just read it. And not only this, but with joy, let us exalt in our sufferings and rejoice in our hardships, knowing that hardships, distress, pressure, trouble. What does distress, pressure, trouble, and hardship produce in your life? Patient endurance. And endurance, proven character or spiritual maturity. So when you're in distress, you're feeling pressured, you have trouble, it's going to produce patience inside of your life, which produces character, which means you're maturing. We live in a world system today with a lot of immature people. Did I say that out loud? It's still true. Proven character, hope and confidence, assurance of salvation, eternal salvation. Such hope in God's promises never disappoints us. If you put your hope in anything else but what Christ has done for you, it's an empty, fleeting hope. People will let you down. No one can ever affirm you enough to fill the void inside of you. No one. That's something that takes place when you go to the cross and you exchange your former identity for your new identity in Christ. Oh, It never disappoints us because God's love has been abundantly poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So I I put in my notes here, this is a great opportunity for a motive check. When I say motive check, what do I mean? It's an opportunity for you to kind of look at your heart and go, when I look at the, because to some degree, all of us, we impart and build and we take and receive, right? There's this arrangement where we give and we receive. But in your life as a net, are you a builder? Are you a consumer in the kingdom? Do I build the kingdom of God through my life as a net or do I consume in the kingdom of God as a net? Some people, I promise you, you consume because your net value that you contribute to the kingdom is you come and you warm up a seed every Sunday and that's all you do. You walk out the door and you don't live a Christian life. You're not praying. You're not reading your word. You're not engaged in serving humanity. And hopefully I'm not talking to anyone in here. Okay? But see, for me, as a Christ follower, a mature Christ follower, 
I have to lay down my life every day. And I want to serve people everywhere I go, especially outside the four walls of this place. Because this is a great place for us to come be encouraged and equipped and built up and to have some fellowship and relationships so that when we're in the struggle, we have some people to walk alongside us. But the truth is the real work is done when you go outside the four walls of this church building and you live like the church outside the four walls and you demonstrate the character of Christ by serving the people that you encounter. Rick Warren, have you ever heard of him? Purpose Driven Life, he sold a lot of copies of that. He states, all leadership is built on two things, character and competence. Those are the twin values of leadership. Charisma is optional. Wait, what? He goes on to say, for 30 years plus, for 30 years now, we've been addressing the issue of competence by repeatedly teaching pastors and church leaders how to plant and lead healthy churches. And, and I want you to catch this, that have a great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment. Now, if you attend here regularly, you should know. If you listen to what we talk about from this platform, okay, we are a church that equips the body to make disciples who make disciples. What do we focus on? Your identity, your relationship with Christ. Your maturity, your relationship with other people. And the mission, which is the assignment God has placed on us to go and make disciples, to go and tell others about Jesus and the good news, the gospel, the kingdom. So what happens is everything we do is directly linked to the great commandment, love God, love people, and the great commission, go and make disciples. Everything we do. This is what Rick Warren's talking about. And then he says, you really need both character and skills to be a good leader. Catch this. If you have character without competence, you have sincere ineffectiveness. You're not very effective in what you're doing. But far worse is when you have competence without character. If you have competence without character, you become a menace. That's a strong word. A menace to a church, a menace to a small group, and a menace to society. I've known many people in my 50 short years on the planet. Some people are awesome Christ followers, and they impart and add much value to the kingdom on every, a daily basis. Other people, they're a menace. They're a threat to themselves. They're a threat to their families. They're a threat to other Christians. I've been argued with. I don't share this too often publicly, but... I had a guy come in one time. I think we were standing right there. And he wanted to argue with me after I was preaching a message. His opening statement was, can you show me in the Bible where it says I can't have sex with kids? <laughs> you look at me like, what? That was his opening statement that he was trying to argue with me on. I explained to him that in Canada, you have to be at least 16 years of age to be married. And the Bible says you need to be married if you want to participate in sexual activity. So you have to be at least 16, biblically, in Canada. I know. There's other problems with that statement. I get it. But then he wanted to argue, and I didn't want to argue with him anymore. I've had people come and lay hands on me. I've had people push me down. I've had people blow on me. Sometimes they ate a breath mint, sometimes they didn't. 
I try not to blow on anyone. I like drinking coffee. Coffee, you need a lot of breath mints, man, in the morning. Sorry. I don't blow on no one. Don't want to. I've uh, been ignored, threatened, screamed at over the years by people you think would know better. Character's how you act when others aren't around, not just when people are around. You know, when I was in Dallas, I was at Bible school trying to learn stuff about scriptures. And there was a, a group of students at school at the time, and they were big followers of this one particular prophetic ministry that was kind of based in Dallas at the time. And for me, that particular ministry, it didn't capture my attention. And, and I don't know, I wasn't following them. But if you talk to their followers, man, I was Ichabod. I was the glorious departed. And the Holy Spirit left my life because I didn't see it quite like they thought I should. Fast forward over time, in this case, that ministry ran into scandal and problem and it got discredited and its followers got scattered and there was a lot of hurt people afterwards. Okay, that doesn't mean that just because I don't follow a ministry, but see, I've said this from this place on many occasions. Follow me as I follow Christ. If I stop following Christ, stop following me and find someone else to follow. Because ultimately, we follow Jesus, we don't follow people. People will lead you astray. If I jump off the cliff, don't jump off the cliff with me. Stop and go, I'll pray for him. (laughs) Hey, Pastor Mary, we love you. We're sorry he jumped off the cliff. We'll bring you a meal. (laughs) But don't jump off the cliff. Okay, I know that sounds really basic, but people do this because when you follow people instead of Jesus, people can lead you off course. I could do it. I try not to, but I could. Let's talk about some people who lived with character. You know, uh, some of you remember Peter Pretorius when he was alive on planet Earth. He was the founder of a group called uh, JAM, Jesus Life Ministries. They're for Africa now. I remember vividly, I was at this conference with a bunch of I'll call them the big name people that you hear, the people that write books and are on TV and they do videos and on podcasts and those people. There was a lot of them. And we were in the, I don't know how to describe it. It was like a little lounge in the back for the ministers at this conference. And at the time, I'm an associate pastor. I'm, <laughs> I like to say it like this. I'm really a nobody in the kingdom, <laughs> Who am I, you know? I I lead a a small to mid-sized church in Windsor, Ontario, and I train up Christ followers, and I do the best I can every day with the call of God on my life, right? And and I want to be obedient to what Christ has called me to do today, tomorrow, and next week, and next year, okay? And what happens is we're in this place. Peter walks in. RJ, grab a coffee. Come sit down with me. And I'm thinking to myself, don't you want to go sit with that guy or that guy or that guy or that guy? And he could have, but nope, he just wanted to have a conversation with me that day. Because the Peter that you saw on the platform is the same Peter that you meet on the street, a really down-to-earth guy who doesn't think any higher of himself than he ought. 
to be honest, there was some other people at that conference. And actually one of them I went up to speak to and you know what? I spoke to him and he looked at me and he walked away. Went and sat at the other end of the table. Funny. 20 years later, his ministry is now shipwrecked. Not because he ignored me, because there was something in his character that I picked up on then that didn't come out until much later. Because you know what? You can fool me, you can fool your friends, you can fool your spouse, but you will never fool God. It always comes out. And you know what? There was men of God there that have been walking out their character, and there was men of God there that have fallen into scandal. And it's horrible. You know, another man that some of you might remember if you've been around for a little while is Bishop Tony Miller. He's also gone home to be with the Lord. But what you saw on the platform was what you saw when you talked to him across the table. And, and he was authentic, and he walked in the character of Christ. And I believe that for us as Christ followers, our character is infinitely more important than our gifting. I would rather have 10 people with sound biblical character that live like Jesus did than 100 people who could preach as great as the greatest preachers in the world. Because the character will win out every time long term. Think about the body of Christ over the last 20 years or 30 years and how many scandals we've had in churches and how many black eyes the kingdom has and how many people are upset and offended at the church because they've been hurt. But the truth is, if we as Christ followers follow Christ, when men and women act like humans and mess up and fall down and make mistakes, then we don't get offended and off course in our relationship with Christ because we're not connected to men and women, we're connected to Jesus. See, I am not the vine. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. We're connected to the vine. If you're connected to the vine, your life in Christ stays secure and firm. If you connect to the branches and the branch falls off, guess what happens to you? You die. That's good. Some weeks ago, I referenced 1 Corinthians 13. When my amazing wife was up here with me, we were talking, and I ran over and I slammed the symbol. Everyone was like, what is he doing? 1 Corinthians 13 talks about what? You can have all the gifting in the world, but if you don't have love, what's the point? If you don't have compassion for people, what good is your gifting? And then... For me, I like to weave this particular passage in as many messages as I can because, I don't know, after 35 years as a Christ follower, it still speaks to me. <laughs> I don't want to say it's my favorite passage in the scripture because a lot of it's good, but this is one of my favorite verses. I'm going to read it to you from Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Messiah. This is Jesus talking because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to announce release, pardon, forgiveness to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed, downtrodden, bruised, crushed by tragedy. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the favor of God abounds greatly. But I want you to catch, I'm going to read another verse here. Romans 8, 11. 
The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Do you understand the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within you? Then we need to act like it. We need to act like Jesus acted and do the works that Jesus did by preaching the good news and announcing release from captivity and the slavery and the consequence of sin to humans. We need to bring the kingdom of God to those that are broken and crushed and pressed down and proclaim the victory of our king. We should be living that way in our daily lives. And then Paul in Romans 8 goes on, and I'll paraphrase it, RJ's version. You don't have to give into your flesh for another moment. Actually, as you yield to your flesh, it produces death, not life. And if you live by the guidance of the Spirit, it'll produce life. Why would we as Christ's followers allow our flesh to flaw the character of Christ that's being developed within us? Why would we let our flesh rule? Why would you let your flesh rule for another moment? It's only gonna create destruction and death inside of your life. How many of you, don't raise your hands, I don't need to know. You allowed your flesh to take over and it caused you a problem. Every one of you did. You yielded to your flesh and it created an issue for you. Now let's today, let's yield to the spirit of God and let's live a sanctified life and start surrendering our flesh to be crucified with him so that we can start living for him and that we can develop his character inside of us so that when we shout out and proclaim the victory of Christ, when we declare his goodness, it doesn't give the enemy ammunition to attack us. You following this? Let's stand together. Ha ha, I didn't turn my iPad off once this service. <laughs> you know, as we come to the table, the Lord's Supper for communion, we'll take a moment and let's look at our hearts. We need to discern what's going on in our heart. Is there unforgiveness? Is there bitterness? Is there anger? Is there rage? Is there resentment? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Pretty well all sin falls under those three. Fathers, we look within. I thank you that in your brokenness, you made a way for us to be whole. And that as we release forgiveness and receive forgiveness today, and as we lay down our flesh and we take on your nature, I thank you that faith and hope are rising up in your people. The healing is being released to anyone that's sick. That our bodies are being restored to health. That our minds are being whole, made whole right now in the name of Jesus. Some of you need to look in the mirror every day and say, I have the mind of Christ. He will form his thoughts most fully inside of me. And you can be an image bearer where you reflect the beauty and the glory of the creator to the world around you. Jesus, today, as we receive the bread, I thank you for the anointing on our life to live a righteous and a holy life as a Christ follower.
Jesus' name. Jesus, when you took the cup, which is the blood of the new covenant, changed everything that day. Your blood was shed. The veil was torn. The glory of God left a box and it started dwelling in the hearts and minds of men. Release your power in your church, Father. Release your people from the slavery of sin. Help us to die to our flesh. Help us to not look at, at our gifting to carry us, but to your spirit to carry us. And let us sanctify the gifts that you've given us so we can give you glory, that we can give you honor, and that we can proclaim the victory of our King. Thank you, Pastor RJ. Character over gifting. Um, Your character is so important. And and yes, there's a lot of people up on this platform. Every single one of us has a platform somewhere. And I know it's, I know it's, I know it's God's, it's God's hope that your platform, wherever it is, that your character that you are using on that platform is the same character you have everywhere. And, um, Pastor RJ said that, yes, indeed, we all miss that mark every once in a while. Yesterday it was with a weed whacker. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but I thought you did really well. but <laughs> I did, okay. But your character is so important. Develop your character so that you can use the gifts that God has given you, okay? In Corinthians chapter 2, uh, beginning at the first verse, I just turned my phone off three times. Uh, Paul is speaking. It says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And uh, we were discussing, Paul and I, when, when you're operating in and under the anointing, you're truly dependent on the Holy Spirit. And when you're operating in the anointing, there's no compromising. There's no doubt. There's no unbelief of his word, of his purpose, and of his method. And when you're operating under the anointing, it's like attending the best Bible college and your prof is the Holy Spirit of God. So Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped now. Amen.